If you are able, please stand to show reverence to the Lord as we join in hearing his word. Our Old Testament reading this morning comes from Psalms 16, 1 through 11. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my God. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. The sorrows of those who run after another God shall multiply. Their drink offering of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lips. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places. Indeed, I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also, my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. For you will not abandon my soul to Sheol or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In present there is fullness of joy, and at your right hand are pleasure forevermore. Our New Testament reading is 1 Peter 1, 3-9. Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, according to his great mercy. He has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead, to an inheritance that is impressionable, undefiled, unfailing, kept in the heavens for you, whom by God's power are being guided through faith for salvation, ready to the, the reveal in the last times, to be revealed in the last time. In this you rejoice through now for a little while, if necessary, you have been grieved by various trials, so that the tested genuineness of your faith, more precious than gold, that perish though it is tested by fire, may be found to result in the praise and the glory and honor at the revelation of Jesus Christ. Though you have not seen him, you love him. Though you do not see him, you believe in him and rejoice with joy that is inexpressible and filled with glory, obtaining the outcome of your faith and the salvation of your souls. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks. Please be seated. Let's bow our heads in prayer. Father, we do give you thanks for this, your word. We thank you for its beauty, Lord, what beauty is presented to us in these two passages that were just read. Father, our desire is to know and to understand and apply it to our, our hearts, Lord, and to, to see the Lord Jesus Christ exalted in us individually and as a body, as a community, as your people. So help us now by your spirit. And may you, Lord Jesus, be glorified. 
For it's in your name we pray. Amen. The title of today's sermon is My Whole Being Rejoices. And, and it's taken from verse 3, or not, not verse 3, but verse 9 in uh, Psalm 16. So the question for us before us is, what does it take to be happy in life? And I know that's a, that's a big question, and there's a number of things. So it's, it's people, people are always searching for happiness. We're looking for, we're looking for satisfaction in life. And you'd be surprised to know that there are a number of statistics that are that's kept on. So there's, there's a thing called the World Happiness Report, <laughs> where, they, where, where it's a survey, and they, and they, and they survey the nations on, on happiness. And, and you might be, if you were to look it up, you might be surprised to find that America is not the number one happiest of people. Of course, you've been on social media, you know that. No, but, but there's but but this there's, there's there's happiness is measured, and out of measuring that happiness, policies are created. And that's what that's what the report's used for. So Gallup does a poll as well, and and they collected statistics on personal happiness, and and I know that statistics can be manipulated, but here's some conclusions of personal happiness that Gallup. So Gallup, a poll show a Gallup poll showed that six to seven hours of socializing daily results in the highest level of happiness for people. Regular contact with ten friends is the bare minimum for friends to impact your happiness level. These are conclusions. You are in control of your happiness, or at least up to forty percent of it, if you have to be scientific. Researchers believe a big part of your happiness is beyond your control, a mix of factors such as genes, other people's behaviors, and life circumstances. Isn't that terrible? You have to live in a world with other people. <laughs> Messing up your happiness. No. Sorry. Yeah. You're happiest at age 33, 55, and the 70s, at least on the average. 33 because you have the energy and knowledge to pursue your passion. 55, because you have gained enough assets and authority. And 70s, because you're free of many stress-causing responsibilities and you can look back to your life's accomplishments. I don't know what that says for people who are in their 60s like me. I suppose I should be unhappy. No, and and why did they, why'd they leave out teenagers? Can't their happiness be measured? No. Yeah. yeah, see, so these conclusions, they're interesting, yeah, but they don't, they don't seem to go far enough. You know, and these statistics, you know, their, their conclusion, it makes it appear like socializing, you need, you need the equivalent of a full-time job in order to be happy. Socializing, <laughs> six to seven hours a week. Money. Money is key to happiness. That's what, that's what they're concluding. Money is key to happiness. And I know a lot of you would say that, amen to that. You don't want to say it now because you don't want to sound like you're, you, you, you love money. But you would say, mm-hmm, see, that brother's honest. 
<laughs> Money, yeah, yeah. And, and this, this one gets me. You are in control of 40% of your happiness. 40%? What about the other 60%? Who's in control of that? They said it's beyond your control. Yeah, so here, here's another question. Is happiness something that is only for this life? Is there satisfaction after you die? And see, how you answer that question is extremely important to your present happiness. See, the Bible here gives us a picture of, of deep heart gladness, whole being satisfaction. It's what Psalm 16:9 says. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure. I mean, it's like the triad. Heart gladness, whole being rejoices, flesh dwelling secure. So how can David, the king, talk about his whole being rejoicing? You see, that gladness of heart that he's talking about, that heart gladness, that whole being rejoicing, is something we all need. It's something we all see. People cross borders. They migrate from around the world searching for that type of satisfaction, that type of, of, of happiness. And they do, we do all kinds of things looking for that type of happiness. So how do you get it? How do, you, how do you get this type of, of whole being rejoicing? Well, the lesson in the psalm is teaching us to pray for the preservation of the good while practicing a prohibition against pluralism by picking the provider of pleasant places, thus becoming a pedestrian on the path to life. Those are four points that we want to cover this morning in, in this sermon. So, so let's think about this. To pray for the preservation of the good. Look at verses 1 through 3. Preserve me, O God, for in you I take refuge. I say to the Lord, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. As for the saints in the land, they are the excellent ones in whom is all my delight. You see, to know the satisfaction of your whole being rejoicing, one must trust that God will keep you. God will keep you. See, the Lord keeping you is the equivalent of taking refuge in him, as the text says. In refuge, what, what is meant by that? What is meant by refuge? Well, well it's protection. That's, that's what a refuge is. A refuge is protection. And, and, it, and it, it brings to mind the picture of, of those cities of refuge that, that, is, that Israel had. And the cities of refuge, you read about it in the book of Numbers, those cities of refuge, it, it, it provided protection for the person who committed manslaughter. You know, they didn't, they weren't, they had no ill will against a, a person, but they did something that, and, and it accidentally killed someone. So in, if, that, if, if, you, if that happened to you, you could flee to a city of refuge. And there, in the city of the refuge, and it's there in your part of the nation, you stayed there until you stood before the congregation of the people or the high priest that, or the high priest would die. And so you would stay there. But if you were to leave the city of refuge, then the avenger, which was some relative of the person you killed perhaps, that person could come and kill you 
and not be held responsible for taking your life because you left the city of refuge. If you left it, you were unprotected. See, David's prayer for preservation is because God is his refuge. See, this protection from God ignites joy in David. And he has so much joy that he says, you are my Lord. I have no good apart from you. This is the, first, the second half of verse 1. That, that word in Hebrew, good, it's not just like our English word, but it has a wide range of meanings. It, it means it could mean pleasant, it could be agreeable, it could be valuable, prosperous, understanding, happy, and, and a, whole, a whole lot more. But the, the point is, David locates all of his goodness, all of his happiness, all of his prosperity in the Lord. David didn't rely on his own goodness to be the source of happiness for him. He didn't want to seek, he didn't want to seek goodness in anything or anyone other than the Lord. And by the way, isn't that what got our first parents, Adam and Eve, in trouble? <laughs> isn't that why we're all struggling with sin right now? It's because we sought goodness apart from the Lord. The personal, that personal happiness statistic, the summary of it, one, one of its conclusions was you are in control of your own happiness. That is a lie from Satan. Don't believe it. Don't believe it. See, if you want whole being rejoicing, it must be that you, like David, locate your happiness in the Lord. But David also sees that he's not just an individual seeking a personal prosperity, but he's looking to serve his neighbors with the goodness and prosperity that the Lord has given to him. In other words, he knows that the things that bring him delight are not things, but it is God's people, the saints. That's what he says there in verse, in, in verse 3. Yeah. So this, this whole being rejoicing, it doesn't see the good things the Lord gives you as merely your own, but it's for your neighbor. David says, they are his delight. Those excellent ones, those excellent ones, those who are, are those majestic ones, they're the ones. All of this majesty, all of this goodness, all of this prosperity that I have is for them. And he sees that they are his delight, he says. So how do, you, how do you process the goodness of God so that you become generous like that? How do, how do, you, pro, how do you process it to become well, You have to do so through praying for the preservation of the good. See, the goodness of God being our protection is why we take the goodness, that goodness to our neighbors. How else, how else will the good be preserved? If the ones who are protected by the Lord aren't giving away that same grace in the community, the community perishes. And Proverbs 11.10 says this, when it goes well with the righteous, the city rejoices. And when the wicked perish, there are shouts of gladness. Why is that? It's because, it's because they take the goodness that God has given to them and they share it and they take that same grace into the community. See, the Lord is good to you so you can be good to your neighbors. If you want whole being rejoicing, 
pray for the preservation of the good and do it while practicing a prohibition against pluralism. Look at verse 4 of chapter 16. The sorrows of those who run after another god shall multiply. Their drink offerings of blood I will not pour out or take their names on my lip. See, whole being rejoicing is going to require some prohibitions, meaning you will have to not do some things. And in the text, when we see what that is, it's, it's the pursuit of other gods. It's the, you know, another God is what the text says, what the Bible says that some are running after. And isn't that true? They're running after other gods. Yeah, so the word, that word for running after in Hebrew, it means, it means to be hurried, to be anxious, to be impetuous. Yeah, so, so being impetuous, it's not thinking. It's not thinking. That's what impetuosity is. It's not thinking. So you're not thinking about what pursuing idolatry is going to bring. You're not thinking of the consequences. See, if you want, if you want whole being joy, idolatry will need to stop. Idolatry. John Calvin said this about the, the human propensity to make idols. He said, so it goes. Man's mind, full as it is of pride and boldness, dares to imagine a God according to its own capacity as it sluggishly plods, indeed is overwhelmed with the crassest ignorance. It conceives an unreality and an empty appearance as God. To these evils, a new wickedness joins itself that man tries to express in his work at the sort of God he has inwardly conceived. Therefore, the mind begets an idol and the hand gives it birth. Daily experience teaches that flesh is always uneasy until it has obtained some figment like itself in which it may fondly find solace as in an image of God. In almost every age, since the beginning of the world, men, in order that they might obey this blind desire, have set up symbols in which they believed God appeared before their bodily eyes. You see, he's saying, he's saying that people have always run after the gods of their making, looking for security, goodness, happiness in a created thing rather than the creator. And modern people commit idolatry as well. Idolatry is subtle because it takes a good thing and it says, you are my security. In you, I have peace. You're my savior. Deliver me. You know, it's, it's, it's that you say to yourself, if I have X, then I'll have worth. If I have this, then I'll have, then I'll have, I'll have meaning. So for some, it's leisure time activity. For another, it's their family. For someone else, it's, it's a relationship that you really think you can't live without. For still another, it's money. It's their job. Yeah, so, so there's a plurality of idols, and you'll have to say no to, to, to you, you'll have to say no to this pluralism. Because idolatry is a killer of joy. And your idol can seem like it makes you happy momentarily, but it will eventually disappoint you. And when it does, your life comes crashing down. And not only does it kill your joy, it can make you a killer. The text says, the sorrows 
of those who run after another God shall multiply. So what's the remedy to get rid of idols? Well, the remedy is to remove the idol's name from your lips. That's what the text says. Don't... So do radical extraction, like like removing a bad tooth in your head. Identify it and remove it. Have you ever had that toothache in your head and you go to your dentist and this thing has got to go out? It's got to go. Oh, it's this molar right here. (laughs) Yes, 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 yes. And then they don't extract it right away. You set up an appointment to come back weeks later. No, but I mean that's that's the way. But you got you got to get rid of it. You, know, you do radical extraction. So whole being rejoicing awaits the one who's practicing a prohibition against pluralism. Since instead it's running after another god, they are picking the provider of pleasant places. Look at verses 5 through 8. The Lord is my chosen portion and my cup. You hold my lot. The lines have fallen for me in pleasant places indeed. I have a beautiful inheritance. I bless the Lord who gives me counsel. In the night also my heart instructs me. I have set the Lord always before me because he is at my right hand. I shall not be shaken. You see, whole being rejoicing is dependent on the provider of, of picking the provider of pleasant places. David picked the one who had picked him long before he was born. The Christian finds satisfaction in the Lord's determination of where they should be. That personal happiness summary, it asserted that you're in control of your happiness at least up to 40%. Researchers believe that a big part of your happiness is beyond your control, a mix of factors such as genes, other people's behaviors, and life's circumstances. And David here is saying, I'm not having any of that. It's not going to be a mix of factors. It's not going to be my genetics. It's not going to be other people's behaviors. Or I'm not going to be a subject to circumstances. No, he said, I have already Take it and may I take the Lord, I take refuge in the Lord. I have no good apart from you. I'm not running after another God. The Lord has given me my portion and cup, he says. He said, I will pick what he has provided, the pleasant places. He's the sovereign shepherd who leads me beside still waters, who makes me to lie down in green pasture. He restores my soul, anoints my head with oil, and my cup overflows. He says, it's as if he's saying, I don't know what you're going to do, but I'm picking the Lord. I'm, pick, I'm picking the Lord who is the provider of pleasant places. He's chosen me. See, the Bible teaches us that our lives have fallen just as the Lord has ordained them to fall. The lines in our lives. And look at what he says. We have, and and we have a beautiful inheritance. So it isn't just about right now. It's what is to come. So listen to how Peter describes our inheritance in 1 Peter 1, 3, and 5. Blessed be the Lord, blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead. To an inheritance that is imperishable, 
undefiled and unfading, kept in heaven for you who by God's power are being guarded through faith for salvation ready to be revealed in the last time. What a beautiful inheritance. You see, in Christ, the lines for us have fallen in pleasant places, giving us a beautiful inheritance that's imperishable, undefiled, and unfading. Hallelujah. One commentary, one preacher on this, commenting on this, on this text, I don't know his name because it was such an ancient, it was, a, it was an, old, an old sermon, but he said this, he said, life is not fixed by chance or by blind faith or by man's own design and devising. It is, by, it is of God's ordering. As it is with the stars above, so it is with the souls beneath. They stand as God ordains. You see, if you continue to think that you're in control of your life, you will never know whole being rejoicing. Even if you think that you're only in control of 40%, God controls it all. He controls it all. So rest in him because the night is coming. You see, David acknowledges that. He said, in the night, it will be the Lord's counsel instructing your heart. See, in the night, you know what the night is. The night, the night, the night, yeah, it's not just when you're sleeping, but the night, the night is, it's trouble. It's trials. It's, it's, it's suffering. It's, the, it's, all, it's all, all of that. It's, it's dark. It's night. The night is coming, and in the night, it's when you need the sovereign hand of the Lord going before you like a flashlight in a dark hallway. Now, I, like many of you, have had numerous night experiences in my life. You know, it, was the, it was the Lord, it was the sovereignty of the Lord guiding me. I wasn't a Christian, but it got... See, you don't have to be a Christian in order for God to guide you. Amen. <laughs> yeah, and you, you may not know it, but yeah, what, what's, what's going God is the one who's, he's, he's after you. He's been leading you. He's been, he's been bringing you along. Say, I, I, it, was, it, was it was a night in the darkness of my teenage years. I was going, I was lost, but Jesus found me in Sumter, South Carolina, of all places. I thought it was a foreign country. I mean, I was, I was a city boy from Nebraska, you know. Yeah, yes, there are black people in Nebraska. So, so, yeah, so, so I, I thought, you know, where am I in South Carolina? But God sent me there so that Jesus would save me while I was there. It was the night of being angry about the injustices and, and mistreatment of, of people that I saw while I, while I was at this Christian school. It was in that night, the sovereignty of God led me to a book that was on the side of a co-worker's forklift. It was C.S. Lewis's Mere Christianity. Yeah, I hadn't read anything by C.S. Lewis since I was just a little kid. I didn't know he wrote anything other than The Lion, The Witch, and The Wardrobe. <laughs> yeah, but it was Mere Christianity. And I asked him, oh, can I read that? He said, oh, yeah, yeah, sure. Yeah, because the title intrigued me. I thought there's nothing mere about Christianity. Yeah, and in that, 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 it was in that anger, God sovereignly showed up. Yeah, it, was in, it was in that same night, that same night of, 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 while I was trying to escape and run away from God, in that, in that same night, God used a young girl who wasn't a Christian, who 
out of the blue, said to me, I mean, I knew her because, you know, her, her sister and I were friends, and, and, but she, you know, she was like 14 or so, and she said to me, Kenny, why are you mad at God? I didn't think I was mad at God, but that's, but, but you know, without even knowing, she put her finger right, right on, right on, right on what my problem was. Then it was in that moment, at the same time I'm reading C.S. Lewis, he gave me counsel. My heart instructed me as I recalled the love of God for me. As C.S. Lewis put it in the book, when he said God's love is determined to make you like his son at whatever it cost him and whatever it cost you. When I read that, I fell on the floor in my apartment with my face on the ground and it said, God, how can I resist such love? And I repented. The Lord, the Lord, in his sovereignty, he brought me back, and I set the Lord always before me. Because he is at my right hand, I shall not be moved. God did that experience. I can't forget it. And I, I, no matter what took place after that, there's a whole lot of there've been a whole lot of other night things after that, but see, whole being rejoicing picks the provider who picked you and gives you and gave you pleasant places, even in the night. His sovereign leading helps you as a pedestrian on the path of life. Look at verses 9 through 11. Therefore, my heart is glad and my whole being rejoices. My flesh also dwells secure, for you will not abandon my soul to shield or let your Holy One see corruption. You make known to me the path of life. In your presence there is fullness of joy. At your right hand are pleasures forevermore. Did you notice that the, the heart is glad and the whole being rejoicing is the conclusion it's the conclusion of this, of this prayer. See, that's what the therefore is therefore, as those of you from Grace have heard many times. <laughs> you know, that's, what, that's what it's there for. It signals that this is the concluding thought. Here's where your heart, the core of your being, should rest and, and should land. Here's where you see David, too, He's, the pro he's a prophet. In Acts chapter 2, Peter would say this as, he, as he's preaching. You know, he, so he would say that, that David is a prophet. And he, David was, preaching, was saying this. He understood this of, being, of someone being raised by the dead. And Peter says it wasn't, he wasn't talking about himself because we know where his grave is. But here he's talking about Jesus. It was a prophecy of Jesus' resurrection. See, David is confident that the one to whom he prays for the preservation of the good while practicing a prohibition against pluralism by picking the provider of pleasant places is able to make him a pedestrian on the path of life. A life that ends, that takes him beyond death into the Lord's presence where there is fullness of joy and pleasures forevermore. Yeah, see, this is a startling revelation. It's a startling, and you know, if, we, if we get what he's saying, since he's telling us that this is what humanity is made for. We're made for the pleasure of God. We're made to derive our pleasure from God. The pleasure, this pleasure is only found in the presence of God. 
And it is what God gives to us. Hallelujah. See, that would be a good place to say amen. Because, you know, there is, no, there is no pleasure apart from, there's no other place to find eternal pleasure other than the presence of God. Yeah, which is, is where the path of life ends. So the question is, are you on that path? Are you on that path? Because you see, you're, to have your whole being rejoice is to find what it is that brings all of life and existence together so that it, that it orders and coheres into deep satisfaction. So you and I will know whole being rejoicing when we realize the path of life, the presence of the Lord, and the pleasure forevermore all come together, not in something, but in someone. Jesus Christ. 1 Peter 1, 3 and 4 explains it this way. Blessed be the God and Father of our Lord Jesus Christ. According to his great mercy, he has caused us to be born again to a living hope through the resurrection of Jesus Christ from the dead to an inheritance that is imperishable, undefiled, and unfading, kept in heaven for you. It is all in Jesus Christ. Hallelujah. Eric Petrick in a piece of Christianity Today is titled, The Sobriety of Forever. Isn't that a great title? Yeah, okay, I'm a nerd for good titles like that. You know, the, the Sobriety of Forever. Yeah, thinking about forever ought to sober you up. And he, uh, he makes this simple yet profound statement. He says, a healthy view of death can be very helpful in the way we view this life. Yeah, that's true. Because if you know what the end of life will be, you can endure anything that this life will throw at you. You see, in this healthy view of death that's very helpful in the way we view this life is because Jesus rose from the dead. Jesus is the fulfillment of Psalm 16. So Psalm 16, 3, talking about the excellencies and the, the saints and, and all of his delight. See, everything that Jesus has, he delights to give it to his people. Hallelujah. All of his goodness, all of his majesty, are, they're for his followers. See, the reason we can pray for the preservation of the good is because Christ, who is our goodness and righteousness, was made sin for us. The reason we have grace to enact a prohibition on pluralism is because when Christ rose from the dead and showed himself to us, our hearts cry was, my God and my Lord. See, the reason the boundary lines for us fall in pleasant places is because on the cross, the unpleasant wrath of God fell on the Lord who bore our sins. See, the reason we can be pedestrians on the path of life is because Christ has come down and walked among us the light and life of men, showing us that he is the way, the truth, and the life. See, with Christ set before you, friends, at your right hand, that place, he is our protector. And there is no trial that can move you from his almighty hand. So whether you're 5, 15, 25, 33, 55, 70, or 100, 
It doesn't matter. You are happiest because Christ loves, Christ's love gives you energy and passion to pursue him. You're happiest because in Christ you have been given power to become children of God. And as such, you've gained assets incalculable as joint heirs with Christ. You're happiest because he has freed you from the stress of taking the responsibility of saving yourself and trying to develop your own goodness. And though you have not seen him, you love him. And though you don't see him now, you believe in him. And your whole being rejoices with joy inexpressible and filled with glory. Let's pray. Father, There's so much that your word speaks to us, Lord, but we're grateful to even just have this tidbit of, of hope and beauty and, and, and that your resurrection from the grave, Lord Jesus, has given to us. Enable us as your people to live it, to embrace it, to believe it. Oh, Lord, you know exactly where everyone here is. Father, help us to break free from the illusion of control that we submit ourselves to your sovereign hand, a hand that is good. In Jesus' name, amen.